I would say that I'd prefer them over uh, God. What the fuck is the name of that Pearl Jam? Yeah, I uh, I recently tried to expand, you know, expand my horizons. I'll listen to something new, and I've never liked any of Pearl Jam's radio stuff. But I was like, well, fuck it, I'll throw on an album. We'll see how this goes. No, 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 no. And the thing is, like, musically, it's fine. Mm-hmm. They're a decent band. In fact, they're a pretty good band. But the second. Like oh no! <laughs> I was I was a I was about to lean into I liked them when they were Mother Love Bone because it wasn't with Mr. Vatter. right? And that's one of the reasons that like I don't like uh, Stone Temple Pilots' first album as much because it's a lot of we're still doing the early nineties. Oh wait 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 wait! I I rescind my, what I just said. Out of I think the best out of all those bands was Soundgarden. I again, I do not like Chris Cornell's voice. But I fucking good love band. it. I love his voice, dude. I would say, in my opinion, anyway, mm-hmm. the best guitarist to come out of all that easily was Jerry Cantrell. Mm. Allison Chains, that dude was so fucking good. Well, I'm sure he still is. I, I don't mean to take away anything from him, but I forget which song it is, but he does a thing where he bends two of the strings, but then only like wiggles one of them while still bending the other and doing other stuff with this like god damn it why are you that good and i hate this band you're throwing up gang signs playing exactly <laughs> extra fingers appear out of nowhere you're... it's like buckethead and you're like man you're really good first I, of all how I do you... you were in a band that i cared about at all how do you have an eight fret span and two extra fingers how the fuck is that possible <laughs> Are you an alien? Is that why you're wearing a bucket? I think you're an alien, man. I think you're a goddamn alien. <laughs> no, I just realized I actually my favorite band out of all of those. Um, Mike Patton had a band, the guy from Faith No More. Oh yeah. Mr. Bungle. Oh yeah. Fucking love Mr. Bungle. Have you ever listened to Dog Fashion Disco? No, I have not. We uh, we actually had uh, Todd, their singer, on the show very, very long time ago. I'm sure it's not even on the feed anymore. Mm. But uh, I always say that they sound like Mr. Bungle if Mr. Bungle wrote songs that you actually wanted to listen to. <laughs> because I can make it through only a little bit of Bungle before I'm like, God damn, all right, that, and that's enough. Well, you know the thing. That's enough. Mr. Bungle and Jazz have absolutely nothing to do with each other, but... But everything to do with each other. I couldn't listen to Mr. Bungle when it was out, but um, I developed, uh, slowly developed a taste for jazz through my stepfather. He hit me to all the stuff to listen to, and then my buddy uh, from the Navy, Robbie, Robbie Robinson, he, like, turned me on to, like, uh, the Yellow Jackets and Art Blakey and shit. And it took me about a year or two years to listen to. And I was kind of enjoying it a little bit. But, you know, I ran out of cassettes. And those were the only two cassettes I had left. And we were on a two-month underway. So it was all Art Blakey all the time. And after about a year, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, I got all the different things. Oh, this plays with this. Oh, that's counterpoint. And that. holy fuck. And it took me a couple years of j- listening to jazz hard. And then one time I put on Mr. Bungle and I'm like, that light bulb went out and I'm like, oh, I get it. And I love it. 
It's like uh, it was like that. Mark Maron said, "I wish he was the kind of guy who liked uh, Beefheart." Beefheart, yeah. I still yeah, the uh, I get I got to get into Beefheart because <laughs> I I have had that moment, which is why that bit resonated. Mm-hmm. I think with everybody who's even kind of into music, there's always that one band that like. You know what? I am going to check them out. Uh, mm-hmm. It's been this long. I've avoided it. I don't know why. Just something about like either the band name or something threw me off. Mm-hmm. And go back and listen to it and go, oh, God damn it. This is great. <laughs> I, You know the worst one? Or actually, the band that a lot of people whose uh, opinions and music I fucking really respect. I mean, people who are like deep, deep into music. They like three or four of them loved Marillion. Not a clue. God awful. It's fucking god awful. I will play some after the podcast. What, what is it? I can't even describe <laughs> it, dude. It's like a little metal with Jethro Tull. Nope, I'm out. A... I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> you take your flute and you cram it right up your ass. There's no flute in it, but there goddamn well ought to be. What was his name? Ian something? Yeah, I don't remember. From Jethro Tull? <laughs> yeah. The winners of the uh, metal album of the year. That That's why I made the joke about Jethro Tell mixed with metal. Because it's, it's just, I mean, I, I get maybe why they kind of like it. Because they're nerds, and I'm a nerd, and I'm a D&D nerd. You'd think it'd be right up my fucking alley. No. What, just, you, you don't care for a good round of Bungle in the Jungle? No, I'll tell you what, one of... No, you don't like that? Well, that that's all right by me. <laughs> no, I, I, I like me some Jethro Tull, to be honest with you. Locomotive Breath. I've actually, <laughs> I auditioned for two bands with that song. I I had a Jethro Tull's Greatest Hits cassette that I listened to almost nonstop oh, on my fu- Walkman as a child. That'll fuck you up. Yes, yes, it will. <laughs> and that's how you get me. <laughs> I, I didn't overdose on Jethro Tull, so I can still occasionally. Jethro Tull and the Weird Al cassette, the one where he was mocking the Nirvana cover. Oh, Christ on a crutch. Yeah, was it? Uh, You're off a the deep baby. End? <laughs> off the deep end, yes. When I was a child, I had a Sony Walkman with headphones, and I had those two cassettes. I was in the Navy when you were a child. Uh. But to bring it back around... First CD I ever received, Soundgarden. Really? Yeah. Mm. Uh, was it Super Unknown, I believe? I don't even remember. One with Black Hole Sun on it. I didn't get into CDs till people started downloading, you know, on... And it, so they were getting rid of the CDs at, at the, you know, disc traders. So I, I'm, the first CDs I bought was a stack of 20. I don't have any fucking idea. I think it was Possum Dixon and, you know, weird shit like that. Just holding on to the old shit. Yeah. And speaking of old shit, hey, everybody, welcome to Horror Vomit, where we talk about horror movies so you don't have to. My name is Chris Faff, and I am one of your hosts. And I am James Marino, and I'm the other one of your hosts, and I'm duly impressed with that fucking segue, homie. Nice, nice. Because this week, we are talking about a moldy oldie, Mm. 1972's My Dear Killer. We uh, we previewed a giallo on the last episode, and goddammit, we did a giallo. Mm-hmm. Uh, written by Roberto Leone, Franco Busseri, and Jose Gutierrez Meso. Directed by Tonino Valeri. Starring George Hilton as Inspector Peretti, 
Salvo Randone as Chief Moreau. Mm-hmm. And uh, about a third of the population of Italy as well. <laughs> How about it? There's shitloads of characters, but... James, yeah, my friend, mm-hmm. in your fantastic hat. T. How did you like my dear killer? Fucking loved it. Oh man, this is hands down my favorite Jello that I have ever seen. I fucking love this movie. It had a different flavor, dude. A different tone, a different flavor, man. And it was fucking gross. <laughs> yeah, it was. But you know, in spite of that, it was a fucking. A bomb-ass police procedural. It really is. You know, I, I was thinking this while watching it. You know the two things that it really reminds me of? Hmm. And it's something that came before and after. Uh, it re- really kind of reminded me of The Thin Man. Yes. Because Brad made me watch that. Mixed with, and here's where it really got me, this felt like such a predecessor to your 90s psychological thrillers. Dude. Where the detective following a mad killer. Like, I know that's a lot of giallos, mm-hmm. but this really had the feel of a 90s psychological thriller. And it fucking drew me in so hard. Well, t- take a look at, you know, this is a real juxtaposition today because traditionally I concisely pull something together and, and make it make sense. Um, I have a bunch of ideas why this one was different. But yet, that was a beautiful explanation. It, it really does. It feels like a mixture of the Thin Man mm-hmm. because it has all the detective-y kind of like insanity going on in it. But it's also kind of sick and twisted and fucked up. Like a real dark 90s psychological thriller. Like a seven. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. I, well, you know, I would say that it was... Yeah, again, Nick and Nora, less the uh, witty banter... And more of the procedural, yes. the clues, the people like Miss Marple, uh, Agatha Christie. You got the the dogged, determined cop, which is a very big difference. Either you have an amateur sleuth in most giallos or bumbling cops. This had neither. Nope. We had the guy who looks like a cross between Vincent Price and George Hamilton. Hell yeah. As man. our fucking lead. That guy, motherfucker. I, I, I don't recognize him from anything else but i really giallos are relatively new to me but that motherfucker right there and i i don't mean to break the ice on it but i think the thing that made me enjoy this absolutely the most this is one of the only ones that i've ever seen that wasn't dubbed oh yeah this was just subtitled in native italian i'm sure there are tons of them out there Mm -hmm. but all the ones that i've ever really watched are dubbed and dubbed poorly and it draws me out of the film so goddamn much but being able to hear the actual dialect and the translation in this probably not great actually the translation seemed as i was reading it because i know um because i speak some spanish um the way italian is spoken is reflected in how it's done. So the words are right, but they're in odd order if you read only English. Yes. But I think it's closer to the actual words of this, how it was written as opposed to making it fit. It yeah, was making it grammatically correct. Right. They got all the words and the intent and the feel right. No, that's what I'm saying yeah. is that the, the translation was just a little off as far as grammar. Yeah. yeah. I don't doubt that and none of the words were changed. Right. But. And, and I feel like it was a very true representation of not only 
what they were saying, but how they were saying it. It it almost gave you the illusion that you spoke Italian. That's how well it was written because it would be the sentence and then you know it might lead with uh it might lead with the descriptor rather than have the descriptor after right which would throw you but if you listen to how they're talking and the words that are coming up it makes 100% sense mm-hmm. and it's nothing that will ever throw you off it's oh, just God, a no. little goofy and i well see and it made more sense to me knowing part of another language right but yeah no it was uh, there was what i think well, there was some. There was a point you made to me before the podcast. I'd like get it. Can you bring it back out now? About uh, which one? About you. You actually like this one. There was a. What was the reason? I'm sorry. You said that. Um, because it feels like a mixture between the, like yeah. the old like thin man kind of detective okay, yeah. story mixed with the like grunge and the filth and disgustingness of like a 90s thriller well let's compare this specifically to some of the giallos that we've seen the tenebras uh you know the other ones i can guarantee you i know why you like this one more i like all giallos but i like the other ones because it's more like fast food i'm gonna watch it because it's gonna be fucking bug fuck nuts it's gonna be filthy it's gonna be sexist it's gonna be weird yeah, and it's the, like having it was, a cheeseburger. It's got the right amount of salt, sugar, and fat. You yep. just, At no point during this did it have any of the moments like opera mm-hmm. where all of a sudden a woman's like tied to a post with just bitch and metal music blaring behind it. Well, let's speak about the music on this movie. You know who did the music? Who? Ennio Maricone. The guy who did all the spaghetti westerns? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah he sense. did the score of this. That makes sense. And I will tell you the giant ties that um, Tanini had with all of these people. He worked on films. He worked on Leone's films. I mean, he literally worked on set with them. Um, he worked with a lot of like a lot of the other people in the industry. That guy was all over the place. And he was, um, well, let's take a look at the difference in tone of this movie that makes it 100% different besides the competent police. The treatment of women. Let's take a look at when this was made and where this was made. Yes, there was nudity. Okay? Yeah. That's part of what in Giallo, but it, it happened. It was nudity that happened. It wasn't just like, hey, look at me. Hey, hey, hey. And, and one specific thing that we will get to later. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll leave that for a separate discussion, but yes. But, for example, um, the police guy's girlfriend was her own person she had her own agencies what the fuck you know i don't like what you're doing this you know but yeah doing this you only give a shit about your job we don't even fuck anymore right so it wasn't gratuitous it was you know it was part of the scene it was part of whatever happened it was and her her role wasn't as a victim her role wasn't you know yes she was um this police chief's girlfriend however it was indicative of a relationship rather than just got to put a chick here. Yes. You know, um, the characters, the women characters were very distinctly their own people. Oh man. The old woman. Oh God. Yes. God, I loved her so much. And, and what they did is they made her a hero. Yeah. Which take a look at the tone of how they treat women and the other jealous that we've seen. Straight victims. Absolutely. Uh, victims or objects. Yeah. 
So that's a hundred percent different. Um, again, the tone of the police. I I do yeah. want to interrupt and just say yeah. that is just from the ones that we've seen because I'm not an expert in jails by any stretch of the imagination. Right. There could be somebody out there going, "Well, this one, this one, this one, and this one that were made before that did that." Right. But, but you know, historically speaking, as far as the films that I've seen, yeah, women are just straight victims, mm-hmm. objects, okay. set decoration. Let's just compare it to. Traditional giallos are exploit, uh, exploitation films in general. And yes. I like them because I like them. That's what they're there for. Mm-hmm. Um, this one was like nothing like that. There was nothing gratuitous about this. It was disturbing and in tones. It was it was amazing. They, no tongues were stuck in cheeks. There was no artificial humor. There was no lightened... Anything slightly enhanced gore, yes, but just for film. I mean, it's not over the top, it's not blood splattering everywhere. There's blood splatter. Let's take a look at let's get even take a look. When was this made? 72, 71? Uh, as far as I know, released in 72. So, who the fuck knows when it was made? Maybe earlier that year, maybe Mm -hmm. three, four years beforehand. But let's just take um, that three or four year period from 69 to 72. Okay, take a look at the any genre film of the era and take a look at the tone and how they treat women compared to this movie from Italy where they didn't give a fuck about nothing about anything. Hey, can we sell this movie? Yeah, fucking put it up there. Mm -hmm. This movie took the time to portray women as people with their own agency, which is 100% different than even just general popular to james bond was huge oh yeah and who all of the issues i mean this 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 film does have its own issues which we'll we'll talk about in just a moment but you know it, it, it just just how they treat women and again we talk about the competence of the police officer the dogged determination and you can tell also that like he is starting to slip a little toward the end. He's still competent, mm-hmm. but he's, you know, like, oh, shit. Uh, not Peretti because that's his name, but the guy before him, yeah. the uh, insurance investigator. He's like, ah, oh, damn it. He saw it so clearly the whole time, and I didn't. Like, right. You know, almost like flagellating himself because he didn't see this clue that, you know, mm-hmm. may not have been obvious, but he in retrospect thought it was and i love how he found that oh my god and just raking himself over the coals over every small mistake Mm -hmm. it's really fucking good (laughs) in making him a character and it it adds more stakes to the victims because you didn't have to characterize as much because the care came not from us caring about the characterizations of the victim but us caring about him caring Mm mm-hmm which is a beautiful touch because we're getting that emotion secondarily without them having to go overboard and having to spend more screen time with these people. We learn to care from him and the acting on that guy. Oh, my fucking God. And one of the things, just structurally speaking, is the constant twists, turns, and introducing of new characters. But while the events keep going, they stop introducing new characters around halfway Mm -hmm. because to be honest, I got a little confused because there are so many. Yeah. But that also has to do with, you know, 
not recognizing voices as clearly because they're in a foreign language, not recognizing faces as clearly because they're Italian actors from 1972. Or you, know? you are now experiencing what I experience all the time in everyday life. <laughs> I, I see people I've seen a hundred times. I'm like, do I, uh, hi. And I have to, in context, while I'm talking to them, figure out who the fuck they are and what, in what, you know, what male I might know them from. I'll say, but just the way that it slowly builds and builds and mm -hmm. builds because it just starts as a murder investigation. And then all of a sudden it turns into this deep, dark, grimy fucking story about a little girl who was kidnapped. And then we find out was fucking starved to death mm -hmm. in this just shack kind of. Oh God. And it takes such a dark grimy turn, but it's so perfectly paced that mm -hmm. it never gets to anything before it needs to really. Right. There are a few parts. I think the part with the teacher drags on a little bit mm -hmm. too long. That sequence takes a, bit longer than I would have liked. Yeah, but I was lost. I was lost in the house. Uh -huh. I was lost in the scenery. I was lost in the looking out the window behind her. I was lost in the, is that a pot on the stove? What's going on? Plus, my God, James, just as a small little detail, that sequence has one of my favorite moments that I've seen just in a film hmm. where he realizes that the teacher is in danger and he says, oh, shit. Quick, get a squad car to her home. You guys call her. And he walks out of the room. The guy picks up the phone and goes, uh, dial the... Uh, oh, shit, wait. I don't have her phone number. And then those two guys just sit there. Because in any movie, you know, you'd pick up the phone and you'd be calling her house. Right. Just that little bit of like, oh, shit, none of us have her phone number. <laughs> I guess we'll just sit here. Fuck. I don't know why that little touch, I loved it so much. And, and the funny thing is, Okay, and do you see that phone in the bar where he had to, or the store where he had to get a token to use the phone? Yep. And that was in 1971, let's just say, for example. It's 71, and it looked old, right? I was in Italy in 1986 using the same goddamn phone with the same tokens that I had to go buy at the exchange to go make a phone call to call my mom and say, hey, I'm in Italy. It cost me 30 bucks. Mm -hmm. And I'm just feeding tokens into this motherfucker. And it's the same phone. And I, I, I was back in Italy again. I was like, ah. So I want to see if we can kind of chart this just mm -hmm. as kind of a summary. So uh, Peretti is called to a murder scene because an a guy is investigating a swamp and gets his head cut off. Oh, yeah. With a fucking crane. Bad it's ass. the best. Dude, that's such a good opening. Mm -hmm. Just just because the camera moves, too. Mm -hmm. Long shot on the lake, pull back, pan over. One big long shot that, quite frankly, for 1972 Italy, quite impressive. Oh, my God, yeah. And, and the practical effect. Yes, of picking this man up by his neck with heavy machinery. So some stunt guy had to get trussed up and harnessed and hope to God his harness held because he's holding on by his neck. Yes. He's flailing. You can see him pull up on the thing. Uh-huh. Because you knew it was uncomfortable as fuck. And you know they really took care of their stunt people in Italy in 1971. Yes. And, and then they pan, and then you see They pan away, and then you see the body fall down. And then the head come down and roll down the hill afterwards. It was beautiful. So then we're introduced to the hermit mm -hmm. who lives by the swamp. 
Oh yeah, the the guy that found a bag. Yeah, the the fancy man hermit with his ascot. Of course, <laughs> he's he's one of my favorite characters. Oh yeah, and he just and I love. What that. do you want from me? I'm a poor guy. <laughs> I got nothing to steal. But I love the fact that you know they just found some random place and just filmed there. It just lived in generational dirt, and that guy looked like he hadn't bathed in a minute. It looked yep. like he smelled vaguely of piss. So it's him and then the old woman. Oh, God. And they're just like, she doesn't live there. She's just there hanging out with him. Yeah. And they hate each other. Mm -hmm. They get into a humongous argument, which again, those little detours were like, yeah, sure. It doesn't really serve any narrative function. But goddamn, is it entertaining? It, it It does serve a narrative function in that it humanizes these people. Correct. Yes. So that whatever the relationship, it is anim. There, there's some animosity, but obviously there must be some care there because otherwise they wouldn't be in the same fucking house. Yeah. And it's never. And she expl- has her own home. Right. It's not really explained what's going on or what. It doesn't really matter. So that that is a great narrative device in making us care for them as as human beings. And please notice the difference. Who was the victim of the couple? Of those two. Yeah. The man. The uh, man was Both held. of them, technically speaking, but she survives. Yes. What I, I guess what I'm saying is um, who, who, who survived. Yes. Who did the heroic act? Who saved the thing? Who got it to the police? The woman. Again, very different for that cinema of that time across and, the board. And while investigating the murder of this insurance adjuster and talking to these people, he finds out about the Maroney case mm-hmm. that he had never heard of apparently, which was a little girl was kidnapped, so he starts investigating that case, uh gets hooked up with uh the investigator's girlfriend? Yeah. His side piece, something I a, get confused. A, a woman he was with, mm-hmm. but not officially. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. The phone call. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so she, he gets involved with her, finds out more about uh, this Maroney case. She winds up dead. Yep. So he goes to the school of this little girl, starts talking to the teacher. She winds up dead. Mm-hmm. So he's starting to put this case together slowly and slowly and slowly. Meets the mother of this little girl, mm-hmm. meets their family, gets introduced to some other people, and then it takes a few weird turns with some flashbacks. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the only parts of this movie that really confused me is because there's just flashbacks intermingled mm-hmm. with current day, but no real separation in filming style or storytelling. I see. And, and to me, I, I didn't even notice that because I, I really, I can't, I have trouble with continuity anyway. So it, it didn't even phase. I didn't even think about it till you mentioned it. And But here's the thing about that, is I absolutely give that a pass. If you did that in a film today, mm-hmm. I would absolutely go, what the fuck are you doing? However, when it has the feel of a 70s movie mm-hmm. in, from 1972, mm-hmm. you know, while f- cinema's really starting to kick off, it's one of those building block things that I don't really like knock it for. Right. Is This is just how it was done back then. And well, take it don't know how to describe it because I don't have the background to do it, but the filming style, the actual film stock or whatever they used or the lighting style was absolutely crisp and amazing. It made you feel like you were there without feeling too real 
you know, it was still a film, but yes, of the era where there's, you know, a soft focus or a different filter. It, it looked like natural lighting or the way lighting is supposed to look on film. And it, it was just, I, I, I could not watch it anytime it was on. Oh, it's expertly shot. It looks great for a 1972 Italian giallo movie that no one's ever really heard of. It looks fucking fantastic. Mm -hmm. These are professionals. And take a look at, I think the difference too, and we've seen the giallos that we've seen, the Argentos and the stuff that we've seen, that's an auteur during a set piece, doing a vision. Oh, Argento's lighting is banana. Right. Whereas this man loves films. This man loves actors. This man loves everything about every single solitary aspect of what he is doing. He, the, when we take a look at auteurs, can be craftsmen, but it's not always hand in hand. This person is a craftsman. The movie he put together is a dead solid movie movie. Take the idea of Giallo out of it. You could take a lot of the gigantic gruesome. You could even just allude to the murders and maybe show the aftermath in a crime photo. And this would still be an amazing procedural movie that you are just riveted on through the acting and characterization. And uh, it does speak to it that it doesn't have a lot of what Argento has with the insane lighting and, you know, like your bright purples and blues. It's kind of muted a little bit and it looks dirty and it looks gritty and Mm -hmm. it looks real. And that's, I think again, lends a lot of authenticity to it for me is that it looks fucking great. And every single scene, that's part of what pulls me in is that, it, I can't look away from it because every shot is set up so perfectly for what it needs to be. What we like about this movie is the respect the director has towards the written, towards his actor, and towards us, the audience. The nuts and bolts of this are fucking perfect. It, it, I know I, I have odd ideas about what respect is, but... It feels to me like this person loves it so much that he wants, he's enjoying what the actors are doing. He's part of the process. He's up there with the, I swear to God, this seems like the guy who's up there with the lighting guys going, hey, is this shot right? Are are we doing this? Okay. I want to get this. Can we focus this a tiny bit? You know, that guy. And as opposed to an Argento or even like a Kubrick in Mm -hmm. a lot of times, he's not getting in his own way. Right. It's not trying to be too artful. It's what does this shot need? Mm-hmm. Exactly. What serves this movie? Exactly. And it that's why, like you said, almost every single sequence through this, you have a hard time looking away because it's not it's not that it's just basic. It's everything is arranged as it should be. Right. And and it it, it looks both well thought out and natural, which is an odd thing to say, but you know, the pot might not necessarily sit on that actual angle on the stove, but damn right it does in this shot, God damn it. Yep. And your brain goes, okay, pot on the stove, but your eyes are going, fuck yeah. Man, that kill for, with the teacher, with that little hand drill, mm-hmm. 
That was fucking gruesome. And the fucking cherry on that goddamn Sunday is when he just drops it and starts spinning on the cord. Oh, man. As a person who's been on a bunch of construction sites, I just saw a woman get hacked up, and I'm just sitting there going, you're going to fuck up that cord. You're going to fuck up that tools. Jesus Christ. I, I was wondering, like, man, I wonder how they talked the actor or whoever had to set that down and then kind of slowly walk away. Because that would have been a, yeah, as soon as that thing hits the ground, I'm leaping away from this <laughs> running saw. Yeah, fuck a bunch of all that. But just the way that you can see the wound trace as he's running this saw along flesh, mm -hmm. it's so good. It's really, really good without looking cheesy. Right, and you—it's not—you never get to see the open wound or anything. And basically, what they probably did was just put red whatever they're using for blood, and put it a quarter inch from the wherever they're doing, and just run it across. And it, when it came across, it was so much blood, it looked like a wound. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, and simple. Yeah. It doesn't need to be spectacular. It needs to serve its function, and it does. It, it does it amazingly. So, all right, have we reached the point where we need to talk about the gigantic elephant in the room of this film? Oh, yeah. Because he, uh, Peretti goes to, is it the school or is it the home? I think it's the home because it's, it's their the manor. studio, yeah. Yep, and he's talking to their kitchen staff about, did anybody see anything? Mm -hmm. And the kitchen staff uh, gives him the tip to go talk to this guy upstairs. Mm-hmm. And it's this guy who had a very deep attachment with this little girl. He would take her everywhere. Mm -hmm. And it sounds a little weird, but you're willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. But they're hemming and hawing, and they're kind of saying, but not saying. Yeah. Until. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. he, I had to consult you about whether we proceed with this film or not because of this. Right. But much like a Calvair situation, mm -hmm. I I have a reason for why I... It, doesn't really bother me mm -hmm. because at the end of this conversation out walks a, a naked child, mm -hmm. what, maybe 10 years old. Yeah. And immediately I was taken aback and went, what the fucking shit? Mm -hmm. So the reason that I don't really ping this movie for that is because this is a movie that is 50, Two years now, 52 mm -hmm. years removed, in a completely different culture, mm -hmm. where I'm sure that was not as uh, gratuitous. Again, that is a thing where, since this is a movie from the 70s, I will give it a little bit more leeway. If you did that now, I would tell you to go fuck yourself. Mm -hmm. But being 1972 Italy, I do kind of give it a pass, even though... It is a graphically nude child, mm -hmm. full frontal, and she is being sexualized, or at least it's very much alluded to that it's she intimated is being abused. That, ha that yes. Um, here, here's what I have to say about that. Also, I think that no matter when it has been done, any child nudity is by nature exploitative. Yes. Having said that, let us take a look at cinema from, let's say, 68 to 73 or 74, which is what most people consider the 60s. Right. Um, about the idea of nudity and what it represented. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of, like El Topo. 
Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of famous nudity, or a lot of famous movies with child nudity. Um, it was supposed to, and a lot of it was supposed to intimate an innocence because, you know, we're, we're not all, the whole world is not pedos. No, and that's kind of exactly what I sent you was being somebody who's not a pedophile, mm-hmm. seeing a naked child, it doesn't bother me. I'm not clutching my pearls. No, I like you. That but fucking I'm, kid, are you cold? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but it's also not a salacious, like, ooh, there's a naked child. Right. It's it's a kid who's naked. It's whatever. It, it's shocking. Yes. And what it is intimating in the film is also shocking yes. and damning to that character. Absolutely. Which is the point. And take a look at how Jallos work. Intimate something, then shows it graphically. Intimate something, then shows it graphically. Um, all the hemming and hawing that I tell you, and I, I, I know I'm getting it kind of out of order when they were grilling the grilling the uh, chauffeur. Well, they're often alone with what's his butt and the other, the you know the the one housemaid. Well, I haven't been here the whole time, but it seemed awfully um, attached to you know. And then we're hitting that hemming and hawing, and then finally they come out and kind of say it, say it, and then they fucking kick you right in the throat with, oh, goddamn. Yeah. So the the actual portrayal of the nudity is not to, it's let's put it this way. Were there naked women in this movie? Yes. Were they on display graphically? No, it was situational. It, honest to God, was situational for whatever. We'll call it art. Um, it was not at any point gratuitous. It was more, you know, it's a natural thing. We're in bed and we're having this conversation, which you could very much do. Right. The nudity here was not to sexualize this child, but to damn the other character. The child for, for sexualizing that child. It, yes, it, it's a it's a strange web, but in the context of the film, it does make sense because Peretti already has his suspicions about mm-hmm. this man, and when a naked child walks out, and he's this red nosed alcoholic, clearly just shifty fucking dude, mm-hmm. those suspicions are immediately confirmed because he has the bullshit line of "Oh, she's a model," right? But Take a look at the deftness, especially of that era, to not make it salacious, to not make it sexualized in a way that we're used to seeing, it, right. and to not make a statement about it, about the nudity itself, to make a statement about the actions of the adult, which is very deft. It's very, very subtle. Again, a subtlety in a giallo. You see a lot of subtlety in this giallo, which almost makes it not a giallo to me, but it is because it. If you take a look at what it is, it, it hits all its days and points. But it 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 was almost like this guy said, "You guys do giallos. Let me fucking show you how it's done." Yes, that's exactly uh, how I feel about this movie. You call yourself an artist, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> What about some symmetry and scene, buddy? What, what about um? How about a lighting that actually enhances the the whole plot, not what your idea what lighting should be? <coughs> Let's not take a wild turn to cut somebody completely in half just to do that. We can do something gruesome as fuck, but let's ground it in a reality. Let's ground it in an absolute reality that's a relatable and have a fucking solid story. Oh God, this thing, this thing, you know. 
um, there, we've seen movies with twists and turns and red herrings and this and that and the other thing, and you enjoy it for what that is. This movie, I didn't realize how many twists and turns until I stopped and really thought about it because it was so, it was so honest to its own story. Yes. That it didn't feel like a twist for twist's sake. Because usually I see a twist and go, ah, oh, ha, ha, they're taking suspicion off. Ah, I was so drawn into what was happening, who was talking, and, and the relationships between the actors. And wait, and trying to piece together, because usually I hop to it right away. Yeah. I was so busy with the visuals and, and, and the interplay and, and the strength of the acting that I, my brain didn't get bored and figure it out. Yeah, and it really threw me for a loop as soon as he came to the conclusion that, oh, well, the killer, which we'll get to, the killer hired this insurance adjuster as a PI just to tie up his own loose ends. Mm-hmm. That was great. Like, God damn, that's really good for a 19th... Again, I can't stress this enough because people, I think, myself included, kind of discount older films. Mm-hmm. As far as, you know, like, well, they might not be as tightly written because audiences weren't as smart. This thing is as tightly written as any good whodunit that I've ever seen. You could do the, You could do this now. You could take that same story and make a credible movie out of it. Yes. And then, you know, just like at the beginning, a private, and then the private eye is realizing that, and then he's worried about yeah. the killer coming in so he's hiding and, trying and the to get father the father has this evidence and goes to meet these guys and mm-hmm. he ends up kidnapped as well <laughs> that was fucking badass i mean the, the whole movie like he was an incidental murder right and it and everything and they tied up all the loose ends they didn't leave anything dangling and um the tone of the the, the rhythm of this movie was really good because it it started out real slow glacially slow then about 20 minutes, you're, you're kind of leaning in. Because you know how like somebody speaks quietly and you start leaning in? Mm-hmm. And then it builds. And then it builds and it quiets down a little bit. And it builds, 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 builds. And then it slows down a little bit. And then by the time you catch his breath, it fucking just kicks you right in the throat again. And that's one of the things that I know I've mentioned it a million times before. But I believe it was Spielberg who was talking about how, yes, you need to have what would be conventionally considered boring parts in your movie to make the parts with action or suspense more impactful. And the kills didn't, they are set pieces in any movie. Okay. But in some, they feel more like set, especially in Giallo's stuff, 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 set piece, stuff, 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 set piece stuff. This had the feel of it, but it, it didn't have the, the almost grotesque. Okay. Now is the set piece coming now? Is the set piece coming now? How about now? Because everything was so well done that all of a sudden you're like, oh, fuck, set piece. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, that woman just being strangled yeah. in, a, in, a, in a fucking post office. And I love the detail that all the witnesses, none of them could agree on a single person that it was. Mm-hmm. Completely different descriptions among everybody. Like, mm-hmm. God damn, that's so good because giving absolutely nothing away. Like, that's, they're not even presenting a red herring. They're presenting a dead end that this detective has to overcome. And that guy, fucking pit bull, man. He just gets his teeth in everything and follows every lead. And, and I love his, like, not sidekick, but his friend who's always like, oh, Peretti, I'm tired. The Can re- we be done? I am tired, man. The, rela- the, the relationship on screen between those two guys, even if it was on the phone or whatever, their portrayal 
was an it looked like an honest it looked like they had been working together for 20 years or exactly. 15 years exactly it the way they talked to each other had a certain familiarity to it there was a certain amount of caring in both of them like are you okay you know yeah it's a real sherlock and watson and the guy at home is fucking worried as hell because the, the somebody's not answering and things not going and it's just beautifully portrayed. And they're both getting pissed at the incompetence of the other officers mm-hmm. because they can't trust them to do a single fucking thing right. Mm-hmm. And I like which, the... again, leads to the stress that's causing his problems at home, which is leading to his kind of breakdown in this case. And they hinted at the general unwillingness of people to tell anybody in charge anything for any reason. Uh-huh. Because fuck you, you're the police. And a lot of that was intimated. So if you're familiar with any of the culture, you're like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. Everything smacked just right, buddy. It just, just right down to the little detail of the coin at the exchange. Just, I mean, Italy is Italy, right? But to have something so universally Italian that I recognized it from 40 years ago, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's incredible. God damn, I can't say enough good things about this movie because, again, I'm not a big Jalo fan. Right. And I think part of the reason is the uh, over-the-topness of a lot of them. That's wild. Along with the fact that since I never really dip my toes into anything but Argento because he's, you know, the master of Jalos, you know, I've seen Suspiria and Opera and we, you know, we've done yeah. Tenebrae and... Uh, uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage, mm-hmm. it, none of them really grabbed me. And I kept thinking, like, well, maybe maybe it's just these. But I never got around to watching any other Jalos other than Argento. Maybe I just don't like Argento. Well, I will tell you this. I, uh, the reason I have a different feeling towards um, Jalos in general is I love exploitation cinema and any stretch of the imagination. There's certain ones I spend on your grave. Fuck a bunch. All that. Yeah, no, no, thanks. But like black belt Jones, the avenging disco Godfather, all that shit. I eat that shit up. I mean, fucking Rudy Ray Moore before we saw the movie, I had lived on that shit. I, I used to be able to, uh, on board ship. I've done it a few times where I'd recite, um, signifying monkey, which is really hilarious coming out of my, my Mexican white ass. And it was requested, by the way. I didn't just pull this out and go, hey, <laughs> yeah, way down in the jungle deep. Everybody ready? No, no. Okay. No. Th- somebody said, you don't know Rudy Raymore. I said, I can do it. And somebody's like, motherfucker, you cannot. Yep. Sure. Can. <laughs> and I did it. But I love I love that whole cinema. Like, fucking, we got how much money? How can we get people to watch this movie? Because we got 30 out tomorrow at the drive-in. How are we going to get up there instead of these other 15 guys? Love those movies because you want to watch a, a serviceable movie come out of fucking nothing. I, I eat that. I've eaten that shit up. I didn't know why I ate that shit up before. Now I realize it's, I love the idea that somebody went out there and did something, made a couple bucks off of something that they had no business doing. Yeah. <laughs> that gives me hope. It gave me hope as a child. I didn't know why. Now I do. I'm like, oh, fuck. I, I've been relying on everybody else my whole life to do shit. I should be doing my own shit. Fuck a bunch of all that. So, ha <laughs> that's what I'm doing. Yeah, and to have a film that literally just relies on your actors and a decent script. Hell yeah. And a little bit of special effects with the, you know, the saw and the 
you know, the murders. Oh yeah, but those, those beating were... that old man's head in. Oh my god, or or the the, the decapitation scene, my guy. Yeah. Oh. oh. Oh, and again, just it really lends to the credibility, at least to me, of mm-hmm. writing a solid story. Yes. One that is detailed enough to keep my interest, but not so, uh, how do I want to say, it? not detailed, but it doesn't feel like it cheats either. Right. Yeah, there's everything. It feels like a story unfolding in front of me. Oh, organic is the word we're looking for. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Um, do you have anything else to say about this wonderful, wonderful movie? I kind of don't, except for uh, it's a, from what I understand, it is a very underrated or very little known giallo. It, I don't understand how this got out of all the giallos that we could have seen that could come up anywhere that we could watch. How this one, which is by far superior to anyone I've ever seen. And I love me some giallos for what they are. Yeah, this is... How the fuck did this go under the radar? This It really blew my mind, James. If I'm being perfectly honest, yeah. this movie blew my mind. Because I was expecting a kind of a bore, yeah. a snooze fest, but it kept me so engaged the entire time, like yeah. a gi- no giallo ever has. Well, let's put it this way. Watch I, this fucking movie. I, I consider myself at this point of doing this for a couple of years a, a journeyman. You know, I got a, a basic amount of knowledge that, you know, I could have got to school, whatever. But I'm sure there's a bunch of people who know all the Gialli, right? They know them. They, backwards, forwards, they've written theses on them. And, and I'm sure there's a bunch of well-made ones that never made it. But I am so surprised at the quality of this fucking film, how we didn't get it. Yeah, it's... It's not like we're dilettantes anymore. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> We should have been. I, I I would put this up against any Argento film, if I'm being perfectly honest. Well, this guy. I would put this up against any just good film. Like this is a solid from me, about eight nine out of ten. Let's take a look at it this way. I love me some Sergio Leone films, and um, this guy Tonino, his ties to the more I dug into this. I I could probably do fifteen minutes if I had taken notes on his ties to Leone. He's worked on his films. He has Ennio Marcone, you know, the guy who did all the spaghetti western films. He's got actors from all of the giallos, all of the anything Sergio Leone touched. He's got part of it on the screen. So it it it's just it had to be better. It had to be because Sergio Leone's fucking incredible. Oh, such a goddamn good movie. Hey James, mm-hmm. yes. where can people find us? They can find us. <laughs> Let's just transition right yeah. into this. Horror Vomit <laughs> Podcast at gmail.com. They can find us at Facebook. They can find us on all the good podcatchers and some of the ones that we don't know because I don't know everything that we're on. Yeah, we're out there everywhere. And wherever you listen to those, if there is a rating system, if you give us a five-star rating or a five-word written review on Apple Podcasts, that would help get us on the old algorithm, get this bullshit out there, and maybe help expose people to some different movies because we tend to cover underground shit. Oh, yeah, but... And we're both really uncomfortable and have to pee and it's cold, so I think we're, gonna, uh, think we're going to wrap this up. Wrap it right up in the old Jimmy hat. Wrap it, wrap it, wrap it. Wrap, wrap, wrap it, he do. All right, bye-bye, everyone. <laughs>